Hey guys, remember in April when I was like, my life is a mess right now, so you don't get a real episode? Well, we're making up for that this week. I'm dropping this super fun bonus episode both to make up for April and because it directly relates to my last episode, Life's Checkmark with John Emery. I appreciate you guys tuning in and learning with me every month. I hope you enjoy the last few weeks of summer. Let's get into the episode. What is life? Like, what am I doing? Did anything I do matter? It's just like a, like a nothingness. I am not a licensed therapist at all, <laughs> but I have Google, which makes me an expert. <laughs> Who died? Who died because I have 72 different antique rocking chairs? Adulting can be hard, even scary. Adulting Horror Stories shares intimate tales of adulting fails and insights into how to avoid them. Hello! Welcome to Adulting Horror Stories. I'm your host, Dion, and today I'm here with Bree. How are you, Bree? Hi, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's been a solid morning. Got some of my favorite stuff from the grocery store. Also found out my brother, who's in law school, hashtag fit by Farron, got... <laughs> um. I'm going to say at this point, he's going to be published in a law review journal. Oh, yeah, that is so fun. Hopefully by the time this episode comes out, it's actually published, but That's awesome. Well, congratulations to your brother. Yeah. Congrats, Dwayne. We we love you. Me and all of my fans. It's Barbenheimer weekend, so that's the highlight (laughs) of my weekend. (laughs) So actually, can you explain that to me? Like, I don't, like, I understand why the Barbie movie would be an iconic movie. I understand why maybe for, like, historical purposes, the Oppenheimer movie would be a historic movie. How did they get fused? I honestly, I think it's just the huge contrast of the movies opening on the same weekend and them being like such huge blockbuster movies that have somehow fused them both together. Cause obviously things come out together all the time. Right. But people are like, mm-hmm. Whoa, like this super like intense Christopher Nolan film is being released the same time as like happy puppy Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I, I thought like, do they share an actor? Like what, what happened? <laughs> Just an opening weekend, and everyone just decided to jump on it, I guess. Well, I support it. However you feel. You want to feel silly and and pretty, Barbie. You want to feel super serious immediately after, walk two doors over, see Oppenheimer. Just want to have a whole, you know, feels trip kind of a day, go the whole range. (laughs) Just go to both. (laughs) (laughs) But getting back into the episode... Bree is actually a licensed clinical social worker at a group practice. She specializes in trauma, interpersonal relationships, and identity exploration and issues. Um, Would you like to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, when it comes to like my specializations, I work with trauma. Um, There's this type of therapy I do a lot called um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. I also work with couples. Um, I work a lot with like LGBTQIA plus issues, multicultural difficulties. Those are some of the biggest things I specialize in. Of course, you know, some of the more generic things, anxiety, depression, all that. 
good stuff as well. The things everyone has. The stuff everyone struggles with at one point or another. <laughs> I wonder what it would be like to live without anxiety. I know. Like what's crazy is my dad is like thinking all the time, like mm-hmm. constant, but never is anxious. It's like, I can't fathom. <laughs> That's impressive. He's thinking about the right things. I guess, Mr. Zen Man. (laughs) So today's episode will be about mental health and will be in part a follow-up to an episode I did but haven't released yet on finding meaning in life. And before we even start, I did want to thank you for taking the time to come on. Um, It's rare that I have true professionals on a subject come on the show and I know that therapy ain't cheap, so (laughs) time is money. Um, See if you can write this off on your taxes as charitable (laughs) giving because you're not being paid. I mean, I I like to do what I can to help the community, right? There we go. And the community appreciates it. So um, to recap sort of what my episode with John was, John Emery is the host of Life's Checkmark podcast. It's... A podcast, I would say, about just um, the similar to adulting horror stories, the challenges people have faced in life and how they've overcome them. One example might be alcoholism, but there's a variety of subjects that he's covered. And so in the episode, what we had talked about, I, we, we, we both talked about our struggles with finding meaning in life. And for me, it was that... I feel like I quote unquote did what you're supposed to in life, right? Went to school, studied hard, got a good job, ETC, ETC, and I still wasn't happy. And it made me think, well, if you do everything that you're supposed to and you're still not happy, that means you're just not meant to be happy. Like you're just broken, right? Okay. And coming out of that for me was realizing, no, I have to sort of focus on my own happiness, not just like what was prescribed for you in a sense. Okay. In John's case, I think the main turning point in his life was his marriage ending. Hmm. And, you know, that that obviously is going to make massive changes in your life. Yeah. Um, I think he said that 10 men a day commit suicide over divorce. Okay. I have not verified that statistic, but by the time the episode released, I will try. Okay. And for him, coming out of that was really... I think first, you know, focusing on his mental health, right? Overcoming whatever feelings he had about his marriage ending. Then um, focusing on physical health, right? Getting his body back into shape. Then spiritual, I believe, was next. So he got more involved in um, the church and religion. And then last was financial. So he's been, he's always had some ties to financial endeavors, but he's gotten more into that recently. And now he's making a podcast. Okay. I wanted to do sort of a, I feel like that's sort of the feeling side, the like, this is my personal experience. I wanted to get the professional side of what can be done when you're going through these periods. Right. And that's why we have Brie here today. <laughs> here I am. So just listening to the story, just listening to the recap, right? Because I'm I'm over here not preparing my guests and that episode is not edited yet. <laughs> um, do you have any initial thoughts? Yeah. Um, I like how 
the approaches to what you were talking about were really different, even though it kind of ended up in the same place, right? Where you have your story where you're more just like going through the motions, doing the things you're supposed to do and still kind of trying to find your meaning. Whereas in John's story, it's more like there's a specific turning point or an event that starts to have him question everything, right? So there's two very different ways to sort of come to this idea of what is life? Like, what am I doing? Yeah. And we we talked about it. Like, we have a similar meditation, but his is a, like, religious meditation where he's thankful. Like, he thanks God for, like, the blessings he has in his life. And I'm like, I'm just thankful to be here Mm. (laughs) in general. Mm -hmm. Could have been struck by lightning yesterday, and we weren't. Yeah. And also just um, how he looks at life differently now. I think I'm still a structured... I need a plan type person. Okay. But for him, what he's learned to just, you know, be happier, be more successful is just if you want it, do it. Just jump in. Okay. Try. And once you're in it, you'll figure out where you're going to go from there. If something's not working, a pivot point will present itself. Okay. So good discussion. Hopefully it'll be out next month. (laughs) Um, I believe in you. (laughs) I appreciate it. I've been I've been good. I've I've released one episode a month on the fifteenth of the month, and I've been I've been pretty solid on that schedule so far. Okay, that tracks with your uh, consistency and planning thing <laughs> you yes. were just talking about. So I've got about six questions. Okay. On mental health, and we will get into them. Okay. So the first one is if you're able to share, because I know like. There's rules around patient, client, confidentiality, uh-huh. and it may be inappropriate to bring your personal life into your work. Have you ever struggled to find purpose in life or maybe felt that adulthood wasn't turning out the way you thought it would? Yeah. So, you know, I'll just talk about it in a more general sense. Um, I would say that Similar to John, right, where whenever things aren't really going according to plan or I'm not uh, getting out of something what I thought I would, I I would say that those are some times when I've questioned. Um, I actually, when I was in graduate school, I started in one graduate program and I was so convinced that I was going to go down this one path. Um, And obviously, I'm a social worker now. I was going to um, be a clinical psychologist instead. Mm. I could go on about the the similarities (laughs) and differences for a while. But long story short, similar-ish, different roads. I I still wanted this one end goal of being a practicing clinician. And that's the way that I thought I was going to go. But that pathway involved a lot of research. And I don't really like scientific writing very much. (laughs) Mm. So um, I wasn't really getting out of it what I thought I was. And also, you know, I had seen some of the people above me, uh, you know, like in the year before me, kind of graduating from the program and not getting the next step that they wanted. And the alternative that they ended up getting some of these people was something that I definitely knew that I did not want to do. So I was like, oh, like, what if I don't get like the thing that I want at this next stage and I have to do this like plan B thing? Like that would not be good at all. So basically with me deciding that I didn't really want to get that deep into um, like research, I actually had like my own pivot where I said, hey, like, let me check out social work. Um, I switched into a social work master's program because I just really wanted to 
practice. Like I was ready to be a clinician. (laughs) And so like that was, you know, one of my big pivots where I was really, I was really questioning a lot, especially because, and you know, anyone to all the people out there that have a PhD, like all the more power to you. But, you know, I, I did not know if I wanted to do that much research and do an entire thesis and all of that. I was just like, I'm just ready to be a clinician. So I would say that was like a really big turning point for me where I had had this one path that I like was going to, I was convinced I was going to go on from maybe even like high school. And then while I was in the middle of it, I changed my mind. Wow. I think it's, it's common for a lot of people. I had a similar story. My entire college career was focused on like research. And I was like, I'm going to get a PhD after this. Yeah, that's crazy. And, you know, become a researcher and try to solve some engineering or chemical Mm -hmm. solution to save the world. And I looked at the grad students that I did research for. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be these people. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to go through the stresses that I've seen them go through. I don't want to struggle the way I've seen them struggle because you're not paid that much for a Mm -hmm. PhD. And so where you live matters, right? If you're living in, I don't know, rural Ohio doing a PhD and the Mm -hmm. cost of rent is low, you'll probably be fine. But if you're living in New York City, (laughs) making a PhD salary, it's a very different story. Right. And, you know, it's its own struggle, right, of rural Ohio that's going to have its own (laughs) drawbacks aside from the financial component for sure. Also, just the fact that, like, doing a PhD for good reason means everything you say will be questioned, right? Mm -hmm. Question for a good reason, because you're trying to make sure your research is accurate. But I feel like when your life's work, the thing you've studied and tested all the time for, you know, three to five years, people are just constantly saying like, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. I don't trust this analysis. Redo it. Blah, blah, blah. I think that even can just have a major stressing effect on you where you're just like, did anything I do matter? Absolutely. Yeah, because science is just forever evolving, right? So yeah, you put all this effort into something and then, you know, the next new thing is going to come out, but we don't know when, right? It could be in the middle of when you're doing your research. Like, we just don't know. Yeah. And so similarly, I was like, I just want to work and be paid and be able to afford, like, bubble tea. And yes. <laughs> from there. Macaross. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So my next question is, basically, I researched what it's called when someone feels that their life has no meaning. The phrase that I got back was existential nihilism. Yeah. Fancy, fancy words. (laughs) And so from a psychological perspective, what category does this feeling fall under? Is it, say, depression or is there more nuance? Um, you know, I would say that it definitely falls under the apathy part of depression, right? Where there's a lot of different layers and levels and ways that depression can manifest. But ultimately, for the most part, it's like this, like a a lot of times like a dullness, right? And usually like lack of feeling. I think that there's different levels and ways that can manifest. But I think a really big misconception about depression is that it's being sad. Hmm. But and it can be. However, more often than not, it's just like a like a nothingness. 
So like this idea of like existential nihilism and the meaninglessness of it, right? Mm-hmm. Falls a lot in line with depression, kind of like, what's the point? So even though like depression overall is really nuanced, I would say that existential nihilism falls really well into the realm of depression. I agree. I never think about it that much, but mm-hmm. it's def- that whole like um, depression is not just being sad is very true. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been truly sad over something, but also right. I've gone through parts of depression where I'm just like, there is... I'm laying in bed and I don't want to be in bed, mm-hmm. but I also don't want to get up and do anything. Right. Every option available to me sucks. Right. Like no- nothing is appealing to me. <laughs> yes. Like what's the point of anything? <laughs> Absolutely. So my next question is, what are some evidence-based steps that people can take to overcome those nihilistic feelings? Yeah. So... One thing that's really interesting is there's actually what's called optimistic nihilism Hmm. and it is like a cognitive reframe or like a mind shift of how we can look at this idea of like everything is meaningless, right? Where instead of feeling sad or overwhelmed or, um, you know, it's kind of like numbed or dulled down or however you want to put like this negative side of like existential nihilism, right? Optimistic nihilism is kind of like shifting that mindset and saying like, okay, if everything is meaningless, then I get to choose what everything means. And instead of becoming something that's like stifling, it becomes something really freeing where, um, you know, I like to think of that meme of like the two guys on the train where I can't remember the wording of it, but it's like, I think it's like one guy's like, nothing matters. And he's just like really sad about it. And then someone else is like, nothing matters. (laughs) And they're just like (laughs) really happy about it. So like trying to like reframe some of these thoughts can be really helpful. So that's like one main strategy that I can think of. There's a couple other ones that um, I think are worth mentioning, but that's like a a good first way to think about it. It's like we can like reframe this whole <laughs> everything's meaningless thing to be really freeing. I like that. I think I want to I want to give people a visual description of this meme because I think mm-hmm. I know it. It's where one guy is looking out, like say the left side of the window at mm-hmm. like the mountainside, and it's just all rocks, and yeah. he's sad, and he's like nothing matters. And the other guy's looking out the other window, and it's like trees and sunshine. He's like nothing matters. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like 20 minutes late for work, but like, does a job really matter? No, we'll get there when we get there. Right. I think the the one uh, like sad guy is actually not even looking at a window. I think it might even just be like a wall. Oh, wow. <laughs> so like he could even move to the window if he wanted to, right? But you know, again, when you're in that headspace, it might seem like a lot of effort to move to the window and look outside. Absolutely. And I do think that's true. It's like if you do feel that life by the rules you expect them to have or by the rules you were told them to have doesn't matter. Well, if the rules don't matter, you can just make up your own. Right. Sometimes I think about people who are just really obsessed with one thing and people think it's weird. (laughs) Like, you know, they just collect a bunch of antique rocking chairs and people are like, why do you have so many damn chairs? But it's like, why not? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, if it makes you happy, right? Who died? Who died because I have 72 different antique rocking chairs? Right. I mean, as long as it's not like a health hazard and you're not 
you're able to walk around in your space and you're getting what you need done, right? Like there's a, there's a, there's an end point where it's not as healthy anymore, but there's a bridge into hoarding, but (laughs) you gotta find that balance. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, the other really big thing I would say, and um, it sounded like this is a little bit of what I was hearing you say about the previous episode is, you know, really grounding yourself in your values is like another really evidence-based thing. Um, there's something you can look up actually called like a values card sort hmm. where um, you can kind of like flip through different um, like values, like uh, honesty, family, love, security, um, adventure, you know, just like all these different concepts of values. And usually I encourage people, you know, this is me stepping to therapist's chair. Uh, I do a lot of values work with people. And um, usually I'll have people pick like at least a top five, maybe. And so another way that you can help find meaning is like figuring out what you value. Maybe it is antique rocking chairs. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, And and then, you know, you have to kind of figure out like, here's my values. What would it look like? to live my life according to these values? What things am I already doing that are fulfilling these? And what are some other things that I could add to my life that could help fulfill these values? Or are there some of these values I listed that I'm leaning into more than others? And maybe that's why I'm feeling more unfulfilled. Let me get some of these other ones back in here a little more. Maybe I don't have enough adventure. And that's one of my values. Like, oh, I'm, I'm really big on the family one right now. But what if I really also value adventure? And like, let me lean into that a bit more. So, you know, really identifying and living through your values is another way, a great way to help find meaning for yourself. And um, so as far as other evidence-based steps that people could take, there is actually a, like a, a kind of sort of original therapy method called uh, like humanistic existential therapy where it addresses this idea (laughs) of like trying to find meaning out of life and that uh, is like one of the older therapy models so it's not used as much anymore however from like a more modern perspective there's this type of therapy called ACT acceptance and commitment therapy and it's really about like this values-based work trying to notice and accept and not judge when we're feeling these types of feelings of hopelessness, like, hey, like, I see you hopelessness, like, (laughs) you're there. (laughs) I'm not going to judge you. I get it. (laughs) Um, So, of course, it's more complicated than that. But um, there's this particular therapy model called acceptance and commitment therapy, where it's a lot of this values-based work and trying to learn how to, like, coexist with these types of feelings that we can have sometimes. I like it. It it reminds me of, I guess, like desensitization, where it's like, you might be super afraid of, I'm gonna try to pick something harmless, caterpillars. <laughs> right? But it's like, okay, step one, let's talk about caterpillars. Mm-hmm. Step two, I have a photo of a caterpillar behind yeah, the yeah. glass wall. <laughs> like exposure therapy. Yeah. <laughs> so you're sort of like, you know, I can have the feelings there but not let them affect me. Right. Yeah. That's definitely like one of the main ideas of the therapy model. So definitely one that I would would recommend for people that struggle with these types of thoughts and are feeling really like down or judgmental towards themselves about it. That's a a lot of uh, sort of mindfulness-based themes in it as well. Just being present. I I like that you're giving the audience options. Yeah. Try to find what's best for you. 
So if you're look if you're specifically looking for therapy for this kind of thing, that's one that I might recommend looking into if you're like doing a therapy search. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think one of the challenges that people face is that sometimes um on their own it's harder for them to sort of see that way out. Mm-hmm. You feel you have a, a physical problem or just a mental problem of like I can't get out of this, but you on your own can't see the path forward. Right. Maybe if you spoke to a friend, they could like give you an idea, something like that. Yeah, maybe a little pep talk. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite quotes that I'm about to misquote is actually from House of the Dragon. Okay. Where it's a, it's a, it's a wild scene. <laughs> but um, essentially, this one woman is holding this other woman hostage. Okay. I'm going to say Allison Hightower is holding Rhaenys Valerian hostage, right? Okay. And she doesn't even really want, Allison doesn't really want to be holding Rainey's hostage. Oh. But it's what her father wants her to do. Okay. And she's like, you know, it's it's just what has to be done. And Rainey's turns to her and she's like, do you even want to be doing this? Mm-hmm. And Allison says, like, I don't really have a choice. Okay. And Rainey's says, like, you're the queen of the seven kingdoms, the door is open to your jail cell and you're over here busy trying to build a window. Yeah. And I think about that quote that I very much misquoted all the time of like, how many times in my life am I acting like something is a barrier to me when it really just isn't? And I really have to think of it out of the box in a way, outside of the jail cell. Right, absolutely. Like how many times are we in a in a box and we really find out it's just made out of paper, right? Like we yeah. just, just push it over. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I know it's something I do all the time in sometimes in silly ways. Like for I'm I'm probably gonna cut this out, but screw it. Um <laughs> for me, one of them was just going to comedy shows where when I was younger and had no money, mm-hmm. I couldn't go to comedy shows, so I just watched them on TV. Oh. And it was like somewhere in the middle of adulthood, I was like watching one and I was like, it'd be really cool to see Wanda Sykes. <laughs> and it just hits me like, you have a whole ass job. Yeah. You pay for a whole ass apartment. Yeah. You could absolutely like go on Ticketmaster and find Wanda Sykes tickets. Yeah, that's a great example. Or this is also really silly. Um, I feel like I've seen this on social media a few times in the past where people will realize that once they're an adult, they can like eat what they want when they want, right? Like they don't have to eat like traditional breakfast food at breakfast and <laughs> or like whatever else, right? Like, oh, like I get to choose my own diet now, not just the things that I've been like used to eating my whole life or childhood or how I was raised yeah. to eat kind of thing. Like I get to choose my own dietary lifestyle. <laughs> I I feel lucky in that. I, that's one box I've never let myself be put in. People will be like, why are you having fried chicken for breakfast? Because I can. Exactly. That was that was its childhood. Like, it, because it was in the fridge. <laughs> exactly. Because who was it harming unless it was someone else's chicken? My arteries. That's it. Just <laughs> only me. Right? Yeah. But going back, going back to the reason I went off on that whole tangent, mm-hmm. it's... It's the idea of, you know, you want to path out, but you can't necessarily think your way out of it all the time. The question there is, how do you know when it's time to seek professional help? 
Gosh. And, you know, that is so hard because a lot of times when you're in that space, trying to seek professional help can feel like you're climbing a mountain, right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I would say that's a pretty good sign (laughs) right there. Like, (laughs) is it feeling like it's climbing a mountain to even think about the steps that it would take to get professional help? That is a good sign. You could probably use some professional help. But honestly, if you're feeling really overwhelmed or lost or experiencing a lot of anxiety or, you know, a lot of that more depressive stuff we were talking about earlier where, uh, you know, you're really lacking motivation, I would say those are some good times to find professional help, especially if you've tried to do some of these things on your own, right? Like I'm absolutely not knocking self-work on your own at all. You know, there's some great materials out there for all different kinds of self-work even beyond this, right? But, you know, maybe you've tried some things on your own and maybe you're really finding that you're kind of in a box still. If you're trying to do the work on your own, then that is, I would say, a great time to seek professional help if you're still really feeling boxed in trying to do it on your own or just feel like it seems impossible to even try to do it on your own, right? Yeah, um, that actually reminds me. So my therapist, when I first started seeing her, yeah. She said like the people who come to her are not I don't want to I'm not, I'm I'm not I'm not going to try to mess up her words. Mm-hmm. What she said was the people who come to her are the strongest people because they saw that they had a problem and they had the strength to come to her and do something about it. Absolutely. There's a lot of people who don't or can't for a variety of reasons. Right. A lot of people suffer in silence. Yeah. Um, or there's some type of, you know, stigma around therapy. Absolutely. Or there's either a real or imagined cost barrier, depending mm-hmm. on your insurance situation and where you live. Right. So zone hole can of worms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Access to therapy. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I... I half wish. I, I low-key don't want ads in my podcast, but like, <laughs> if, if they came to me, that'd be a good sign. This is not an ad, everyone. I'm not here for promotional purposes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for those people who maybe can't see that they need help, or maybe they see that they need help, but they don't necessarily know how to get it, I think, you know, we, we're a community, we're a village, Right your friends may want to help you. Mm -hmm. So my next question is, if you think someone you know is experiencing what we discussed today, or maybe any mental health crisis, is there a recommended way to offer them support or to encourage them to seek out support? Yeah. So what's interesting is... uh... This is actually something that comes from teaching this kind of a strategy. This uh, this originates in uh, like teacher training. <laughs> um, Interesting. But, you know, the, a really good strategy is sort of like, I notice, I wonder, right? Like, hey, I'm noticing that you're talking about certain things in a certain way or I'm noticing, you know, you, you haven't really had a lot of positive things to say lately when we're hanging out, or um, I I noticed you said you were struggling with such and such thing. Like, I wonder if it could be helpful for you to seek professional help or to talk to someone else, something along those lines, right? Like, hey, I'm noticing this. I wonder if this could be helpful for you. So like a really like curious strategy, right? Yeah, I like that. 
it, it ties back to um an episode that has been released, <laughs> which is the um parenting horror stories with Dem Black Mamas podcast. Mm-hmm. They said something very similar of like. So my question was because I was I was trying to start drama. Oh no. <laughs> I was like, if you see someone parenting their child in a way that you disagree with, is it appropriate to say something about it? And if so, how can you do it in a respectful manner? Mm-hmm. And there was a nice long pause. Cameras got turned off. It was fun. But <laughs> what they said was approach it from a perspective of curiosity, right? Absolutely. Like, it's not that they want to be parenting in the way they are oftentimes they're going through something themselves and this is this is the output of that Mm -hmm. and so um looking at at it from a curious perspective rather than an accusatory perspective absolutely it often means what you're you're not going to say like hey don't do that or why are you doing that maybe it's just hey do you need help like you seem like you're pretty stressed out is there something i can do to sort of take some of that load off Yeah, absolutely. Same concept. The other reason I like that is because um, I do like, even though I think people are becoming more comfortable with like talking about mental health Mm -hmm. and things like that, therapy still does have a negative stigma to it, Mm -hmm. such that telling someone you need therapy can be an insult. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Somewhat like literally, right? Where you're literally just like, you're crazy, seek help, find a therapist. But also um, I've seen in some like interviews, someone sort of tell a story. They're like, it's not a cry for help. They're just telling a story. Okay. Right? But it's a story that has some, maybe some red flags in it. Okay. And the interviewer will be like, have you seen a therapist? And it's said from a place of um, of concern, like of care. Yeah. But it's almost like saying, you were just trying to tell me a little more about yourself. And I'm like, this bitch is crazy. Right. Have you seen a, have, are, are you getting help for that? Or have they put you on something yet? Right. As if it's for sure something that you should do, right? Yeah. Like assuming you know better almost <laughs> for, for this other person with that kind of approach instead of like that more curious approach yeah so i think that is a very helpful approach and i I appreciate you for sharing that yeah absolutely because it is sort of you know an issue that it's becoming a kind of thing that we're using to kind of like deflect or like you said like insult someone yeah in a way um so we definitely want to try to (laughs) avoid that my other favorite one, fa- like favorite in a negative way, <laughs> is um, you'll see on like dating shows and stuff, people will be like, come already healed, right? Mm. Do, do, do the work already, get your therapy, whatever it is. Yikes. And similarly, like when you look at it from that, I respect what they're saying, right? That if you have certain mental hangups, they can definitely make it harder to build a stable relationship. But when you say it like that, it's almost like y'all are all broken. Right. And before you, before you're even worthy of being in my presence, you need to fix yourself. Yeah. Like that's not okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, kind of on a similar line, right. Is like, I completely understand why people will, especially people that first start going to therapy. Right. And, they're, you know, making maybe making changes or reflecting on a lot. And it's so helpful for them where 
all of a sudden you think everyone needs therapy because this was so helpful for me. And the thing Mm -hmm. is like, not everyone needs therapy. I mean, everyone, it's probably helpful for a lot of people and, you know, some people, maybe it's not helpful at all, but, you know, I think the idea that like, this is the solution to everything (laughs) is like not true. Like we talked about, there's a lot of ways you can take steps on your own for a lot of these things. So it's just once something gets to a certain level, then that's when professional help should stand in. Or if you just think that it could help you process through some things or, you know, sometimes it's more contextual where you're going through a loss or a breakup and, you know, maybe at that time therapy is really helpful for you, but that it's, you know, therapy should not be something that everyone keeps in their lives for their whole life. Like that's just not, I mean, for me, philosophically, I don't think that that's necessary. (laughs) I agree. I think also it's like what people really need is a support system. Mm -hmm. But we're, I think society's shifting to be like very individualistic. And so Mm -hmm. rather than having that support system, they're just like pay someone to be your support system, you know? Right. Or like it's become a way to set a boundary, right? Instead of taking accountability and saying like, hey, I'm feeling uncomfortable by you Mm -hmm. talking about this thing instead someone just saying like go to therapy (laughs) right almost like deflecting the accountability of saying like hey I don't really want to talk about these things with you right now again that's a whole conversation like what are people's tolerance levels for helping build community like you're saying right you know some people just have different levels of what they're comfortable like how how deep or how intense they're willing to get with people or how far they're willing to go to support someone, right? Because everyone should have a limit (laughs) somewhere. So yeah, trying to find that balance of community and how can you continue to like uphold some of the things that you're learning and healing from and growing in, in therapy outside of therapy. Yeah, absolutely. I also, um, I am not a licensed therapist at all, (laughs) but I have Google, which makes me an expert. (laughs) Dr. Google. Right? I think technically, like when you talk about, I'd say maybe not whether you should go to therapy or not, but usually whether you're going to be diagnosed with something, Mm -hmm. it's like everybody technically has mental things that they shouldn't necessarily do, shouldn't worry, shouldn't be so sad, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But usually when something's going to be diagnosed, It's that whatever mental thing that you shouldn't necessarily do, you're doing it so much that it negatively impacts your life. Like it's exactly putting your job at risk, putting your relationships at risk, making it so that you're not paying your bills on time, like some making you physically harm yourself. Absolutely. Like we call it like biopsychosocial impacts, right? Like how is it impacting your body? How is it impacting your mind? Like how, like what kind of barriers is it giving you? How is it impacting your social relationships? You know, your relationship with your community? Like where are these different barriers and like issues? What is it affecting in your life? Like what areas of functioning, like you said, like your work, your relationships, and that could be family, that could be romantic, that could be friends. So noticing what are the barriers in your life or what areas of your life are impacted by these things that you're experiencing? Yeah. Thinking on that, it's like some, if you just are going through like a little bit of a low point in life, like it 
may not be that you need a full-fledged therapist, right? You may not have something that's diagnosable yet, right? but you might need a friend you can talk to or a mentor or, you know, maybe it's your pastor if you're religious, but like someone who can help you work through that. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's so far that you definitively, definitively need clinical intervention. Right. So we're down to our last question. What is something you wish more people knew about therapy? Oh, wow. So (laughs) this might be a surprising answer, um, but the relationship with your therapist or like the rapport that you have with your therapist is the most important indicator of successful therapy. Hmm. And I feel like a lot of people coming into therapy for the first time, because, you know, why would you know unless you looked it up or talked to people about it, right? You know, a lot of people coming into therapy, they don't really maybe necessarily think about that. Like, sure, they might think about like, oh, like, is this person friendly or do I feel how comfortable do I feel around them? But they might not realize how important that is to successful therapy. So really finding someone that you feel connected to is really important for having therapy be successful. And that's across all therapeutic modalities, anything, your relationship and rapport that you have with your therapist is the most important indicator of success. Interesting. It makes it makes sense, though. I always think about like, for me, a therapist is a doctor, in a sense, mm-hmm. you want a doctor who you can tell you can feel comfortable telling all of your health symptoms, because right. It's only when they have the full picture that if something really is wrong, they can see it. Right. So I feel like similarly mentally, it's the same thing. Like you need to be comfortable having that discussion or it may be more difficult to get to the root of whatever you're struggling with. Yeah, absolutely. And so does that mean that it's easier or especially depending on what you're struggling with, right? Does that mean it's important for you to have a therapist of a certain gender or a certain race or, you know, all of that? plays a role as well as just how you're feeling in that therapy room as far as like, um, are you feeling supported? Are you feeling like they get you? Do you like the way that they're answering questions? And, you know, like we were talking about, there's a lot of structural barriers that can come in the way of even finding one therapist, right? So I think that's important to mention as well, where, you know, for people that don't have the opportunity to like therapist shop, (laughs) right? (laughs) And for those that do have the opportunity, you know, I encourage you if there's something that does not feel like it's working with that therapist, you know, bring it up to like, hey, or if there's something that you want more of in therapy, maybe mention that. And there's ways that you can try to make it work, even if you don't have the opportunity to shop around per se. Awesome. So that is my last question. Before we close, would you like to either tell the audience where they can find you if you're secretly a TikTok star or maybe promote a charity or organization that you want to see get more support? Um, yeah. So uh, as far as me, I'm not really out there right now um, as far as like on a professional level um, on social media. Um, If that changes or if that's something I decide I feel more comfortable with, you know, I'll definitely let you know and you can provide an update if you want. (laughs) However, as far as any organizations, I'm always a really big fan of NAMI, the National Alliance of uh, Mental Illness. Mm. 
They have so many great resources, um, especially even local. There's uh, like different local organizations, and this is anything. These are events that you know just anyone can show up to, not just professionals. Uh, so there's a lot of great resources and support. They have a lot of charity events that go towards helping people that struggle with mental health difficulties. And a lot of the times on the website, you can find links that are relevant to your local area. And I am not at all associated or work for or sponsored <laughs> by NAMI. <laughs> I want to make that very clear. However, um, I do think they're a really great resource for people. Awesome. So yeah, check out NAMI. I'll try to put their website in the episode description. That does conclude our episode. I'd like to thank you, Bree, for coming on and sharing your expertise. Of course. Thank you for having me. It was a great time. Anytime. And for the audience, thank you for listening. Don't forget to leave a review and check out my feedback survey in the description. To be a guest on the show, hit me up on Facebook or Instagram at AdultingHS or by email at AdultingHS at gmail.com. With that said, this has been Adulting Horror Stories. I'll see you in the next one. Done in under an hour. I am so happy. (laughs) Long episode just means a lot of editing and it's painful.